Welcome to 40 Days of Prayer. I don't know about you, but I, I am coming with anticipation and excitement about what God is going to do uh, through this time as we, we bring different parts into a kind of alignment around this, this focus of prayer and, and just asking God to, to, to really teach us uh, how to pray. And, and it seems only appropriate if we're going to enter into this concentrated focus of 40 Days of Prayer to, to begin that with prayer. And I know we've already prayed. Uh, in our service, but I am just going to ask you, if you would please take a moment with me, allow me to give voice to a prayer as we kind of begin this uh, 40 days spiritual growth campaign together. Would you join me please? Oh Father, as we've just been singing, we need you. We need you more than we know, more than we appreciate. And Father, you have made yourself so available to us. In all of your, your majesty, your glory, your splendor, and yet you are near. You are the God who is for us and the God who is with us. You are the God who desires a relationship with us of the likes of which most of us can only imagine. And so, Father, would you take your children on a journey? Would you let these next 40 days be catalytic in our lives? and in your hands. Father, teach us to pray as individuals, as families, as a church family, as a nation, as a world. Father, call us to you through this incredible gift of prayer. We offer ourselves this prayer and these next 40 days to you. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, there's a, a lot of things that we know about prayer. One of the things that we know about prayer is that it is, it is global. It is kind of a global phenomenon. You could almost say universal. Christians pray. Muslims pray, Jews pray, Hindus pray, North American Indians pray through chants and songs and all of these other things. Studies consistently show us that even people that say they don't believe in God have those moments in their life when they, they cry out to somebody or something uh, for, for help or for direction or for power or whatever it may be. Now, not all prayer is true prayer. And not all of it is directed to the one true God. And yet there is something in us. And I think it's part of the, the fact that God designed us for Him. There is something in us, even if we don't fully recognize it, that longs for a connection, that longs for a relationship with the one who is God. He has indeed set eternity in our hearts. That's one thing we know about prayer. There's another thing that we can know about prayer, and that is this. From my own life, from talking and walking alongside hundreds and hundreds of people through the years, I know that most of us have a sense of there's got to be a little more. A sense of dissatisfaction. Sometimes a sense of guilt when it comes to prayer. A, a longing for prayer to be more than what we have experienced it to be. And that's part of the reason why we're entering into this 40-day focus, because it can be. It can be more. More alive, more real, more transformational in our day-to-day our -day living and our relationships and everything that we do. It can be more. 
But that longing for more, that frustration with the status quo, that dissatisfaction, isn't just a 21st century thing. You go all the way back to the 12 guys that were walking with Jesus. Those 12 disciples, they walked with Him, they heard Him, they watched Him, they experienced all these things. And there came that moment when they dared to ask Him to teach them something. Luke's gospel records it this way. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught His disciples. Think about that. Of all the things they could have asked Him, we don't have any record in the gospels of them saying, teach us to do miracles, teach us to walk on water. Teach us how to teach, uh, preach in uh, the captivating way that you do. Why? Because I think they knew intuitively what you and I probably know. Is that all those things that were flowing out of Jesus' life were somehow vitally connected to his prayer, to his life, to his connection to his Father. And they longed, they saw something in that that they longed for. Many of us have frustrations with prayer. And I think a lot of those frustrations are caused by misconceptions about what prayer is. And so part of what's going to happen, I hope, during this 40-day journey is that we'll, we'll challenge some things, we'll uh, unpack some things, maybe, maybe disrupt some things that maybe you've come to kind of think about prayer, or at least on an operating level, that's how you have treated prayer. And we could spend the entire six weeks, the entire 40 days just focusing on misconceptions, but let me just give you a taste of those. Prayer is not a lot of things that we treat it as. Prayer is not a magic wand. Right? A prayer is not a magic wand where if I, I just say the right words, hocus pocus, abracadabra, uh, I have the right incantation, or say it loudly enough, or, or with an organ in the background, or, or whatever it is that I can just kind of tell God, do this, and then poof, it's done. God is not a genie in a bottle that I rub and He grants three wishes. Prayer is not a magic wand, as powerful as it is. Prayer is also not a fire extinguisher. It's not a fire extinguisher. It's not those, that thing that, that only in the direst of emergencies do you break glass and use this thing. Only when you have tried everything else do you turn to prayer. And yet, oftentimes, that's how we treat prayer. It is our last resort. When I have done everything else I know to do, then in desperation I pray. Yes, carry everything, including our crisis to God in prayer, but He never designed prayer to be our last resort. It was to be a first response. It was to be a continual conversation with Him. Prayer is not a magic wand. It's not a fire extinguisher. It's not a tug of war. It's not a tug of war. A tug of war where we try to kind of pull God over to our side. We try to get God to see it our way. We try to get God to, to kind of bless what we're doing or agree uh, with us. Or, or how many of us have bargained with God through the years, right? Begged, bartered. God, if you do this, I will do this. 
If you do this, I will give this. If you do this, I will never miss Sunday school again the rest of my life. We try to bargain and barter with God. It's not a tug of war. It is also not a ritual. It's not just a ritual. Some of you may come from a faith tradition where maybe if you did something wrong, you really messed up. You went and somebody told you, well, go say this many prayers. As if prayer was a ritual, a penance, a a punishment, a way to kind of earn back some forgiveness. No, it's not merely a ritual. It's never designed to be just something we do in a perfunctory way, a ritualistic way. Prayer is so, so much more. And so as we begin, we want to lay a foundation. We want to lay a foundation that hopefully will begin to clear up some misconceptions along the way. Four foundational pillars of prayer that I want to just uh, lay before you. For many, this will be reminder. Maybe it'll be a different way of thinking about something you, you've kind of known through Scripture or known intuitively along the way. But four foundational pillars of prayer. The first one is this. God loves for me to talk to Him. Think about that. The creator and sustainer of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, has repeatedly told us he loves to talk to us. I mean, he loves you. He created you. He went to incredible extents in sending Jesus to reconnect with us in our rebellion. He longs to talk to you. The psalmist put it this way, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That God longs to relate to us as a compassionate father. What compassionate father doesn't want his children to, to, to speak to him, to talk to him? That's why, because of what Christ has done, the writer of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence, not confidence in our performance or, or how slick our prayers are, but confidence in the great high priest, the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God invites you time and time again, we see in Scripture, this invitation to talk to him, that he longs for us to talk to him because prayer at its heart is a conversation, not a ceremony. It's a conversation, not a ceremony. And because it's a conversation, he wants to not only hear from us, but wants us to hear from him. A conversation is two-way communication. One way is a monologue, right? Conversation is, is engaging. And so we, we come and we, we hear from God through His Word. We, we hear God's Spirit prompt us in prayer, uh, enliven something through His Word, and, and that begins this conversation. Prayer was not to be this elaborate ceremony, but it was about a conversation with those who God loves and their Creator. And and like any conversation, we have to learn, right? None of us popped out of the womb with 
uh, great vocabulary, right? <laughs> How did you learn to talk? By listening, by immersion. And you by hearing others. And, and, and we learn to pray as we listen to God, as we, we're with the community of faith, as, as others model prayer for us. And we learn how to carry on that conversation. Prayer is a conversation, not a ceremony, because prayer at its heart is a relationship, not a ritual. It's a relationship. And relationships are fueled by conversation. It's about getting close to God. It's not this, this duty, this thing that I have to check off. I did my prayers today. No, it is this incredible privilege that the God who knows me best and loves me most, He invites me to converse with Him. He wants to communicate to me. He wants to hear from me. And maybe you have one or two of those relationships in your life where you know each other so well that the trust level is so high that absolutely nothing is off limits, right? I mean, you, you, can, you can talk about anything. There, there are all those folks in our life we're guarded around. I'll say this much or I'll reveal this much, but I, I don't, I'm not going there. Not with them. I, I don't know if I can trust them. But, but here's God who knows you better than you know yourself, who loves you more than you can ever, ever imagine. He says, I want to talk with you. I want to talk with you. Some of you know the pain of having a relationship and having that relationship cut off. Maybe it's a friend who got upset over something and won't talk to you anymore. For some, it's a, it's a parent, it's a sibling, it's a child. And you love them. You long to talk to them, but they don't talk to you. How much more our Heavenly Father, who has gone to such incredible extents to express His love to us, to make possible a conversation with us, how much more does He long for us to talk to Him? First foundational pillar. God loves for me to talk to Him. Secondly, God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. Now, I'm, I'm getting ready to mess with some of you here, all right? Just want to go ahead and let you know so you can pull out your connect card and prepare to write something here in a minute if you need to. H have you ever noticed that there are some people that when you're talking to them, like we're talking, they, they, they kind of talk regular I mean, just like normal English, oh, okay, southern English here in the south, right? But, but it's kind of normal conversation. Right up until the moment they bow their heads and close their eyes. And then suddenly they channel William Shakespeare, right? Right? Come on. Come on now, right? Oh, thou potentate of potentates. Oh, we come before you, and you who are the blesser and the blessed. And Lord, we come beseeching the bountiness of thy blessing as we tarrieth in thy presence with great joy. Who is that? Right? I know. I know some of you that maybe that was even the model. That's how you first learn prayer. That prayer was like done in Shakespeare. <laughs> Sometimes you have to wonder if 
God saying, do you think I'm stuck in the 1600s? (laughs) Do you think I do not understand your language? (laughs) You think I don't understand your world, your technology, your, your pressures? Sure. He listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. Sometimes the things that impress men do not impress God. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught about a lot of things. In chapter 6, he teaches about prayer. And he, he, he talks about uh, those who kind of do it for show. Let's start with verse 5. And when you pray, notice he didn't say if you pray. When you pray, there's that assumption that prayer will be at the heart of a relationship with God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. Because prayer at its heart is personal. It's not a performance. It is not for others to be impressed. But it is a personal conversation with God. There is absolutely nothing wrong with public prayers. You see it throughout Scripture. And yet at its heart, prayer is is personal even if it's done with others around. It's a personal conversation. I don't have to perform. I don't have to impress listening ears. It's not about a show. He says, in fact, if that's your motivation, no matter how slick, no matter how well-worded, no matter how spiritual, no matter how dramatic, no matter how emotional your prayer is, that's it. You have got all that you're going to get out of that prayer. That's your reward. Because you were doing it as a performance and not as a personal conversation. Prayer at its heart is personal. And longer is not stronger. Yes, there are times, and we'll, we'll look, that we're, we're called to be persistent in prayer, but, but sometimes we can fall into the trap of, of thinking that I just, the, the longer, the more words I use, the, the, the stronger the prayer is. And so what do we end up doing? We end up speaking in cliches, right? Christian cliches, we heap them one upon another and, and thinking that in the heaping up of all these words that we're not even really thinking about their meaning, we've just heard them through the years, and so we repeat them because it sounds like what you're supposed to pray in this situation, but, but they become meaningless repetition because they're, they're not an expression of our heart. And sometimes we use filler, right? We do this in personal conversation. In personal conversation, particularly if we're nervous or something, we're not sure. We'll go, uh, 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 have you ever recorded yourself or heard yourself on a recording? It is so humbling. It is so humbling, right? You know, I try to try to watch just for learning purposes, uh, teaching from the platform, and it's like, oh, oh, 
oh, oh, do I look like that? Do I sound like that? Oh. <laughs> and then you can catch yourself sometimes with filler. Uh, and uh, well, we do that in prayer. Here's one of the favorite Christian ones in kind of our day and age. Just. Okay, I'm going to mess. mess. So, nobody's going to want to pray in Sunday school after this, after this message. I am not praying because I'll go Shakespeare and I'll start saying just. But we do that. Right? Lord, we're just here to praise you. And we just, we, we just love you. And, and it's, just, it's just so good to be here with God. And we just, we, we were just so. Just kill the filler. All right? Just sincere. Simple. It's not about a performance. It's not a production. It's a conversation. It's a personal conversation with the God who loves you more than you'll know. It involves listening and it involves talking. Third pillar of prayer God likes to demonstrate His grace by answering prayer. Sometimes we come with that misconception that I have to, I have to wear God down. I have to, to wrangle. I have to negotiate an answer from God. I have to bribe or barter. No, 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 no. God loves to answer prayer. He loves to demonstrate His grace. Over 20 times in the New Testament alone, we're commanded to ask if God didn't want to answer, he wouldn't have told us over and over and over and over again, ask. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Does that sound like somebody who doesn't want you to ask? Does that sound like somebody who grudgingly wants to answer? No, he likes to demonstrate his grace by giving. James, as he was so capable of doing, wrote it in a very succinct way. You do not have because you do not ask. (laughs) You don't have. You miss out on some of God's best for your life because you do not ask. Because God likes to demonstrate his grace by answering prayer. Matthew continues in that seventh chapter, drawing on the imagery of an earthly father. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Look at that. It's, it's, a, it's a contrast. He said, look, we are imperfect parents. We carry baggage. We are twisted and distorted by sin. And yet we know, we know parents delight in being able to answer their children. We want to pour what is best. We want to exercise love and wisdom as we answer the petitions of our children. If that's my desire and all my sin, how much more will this perfect, loving, heavenly Father give you what is best? But the challenge is, God's answers are not always what we want. And they're not always what we would expect in the moment. 
But isn't that really what we should expect? I mean, what loving parent gives a child everything they ask for, right? Loving parents don't do that. Grandparents, yes. Parents, no, right? <laughs> Can I tell you? I'll just tell you this story, okay? The grandparent story. Colton was having a, having a birthday, and he was like into Paw Patrol stuff, right? So I was learning about Paw Patrol, Chase on the Case, and all this stuff. So really cool, right? And, and so, so I order all, all the, I mean, I just like get this whole little set of these little puppies and their little machines. And Susan sees them and says, says are you going to give him all those for his birthday? Maybe we should wait and give some of those for Christmas. Maybe you need to ask Tara what she thinks. I said, this is not a mommy decision. This is a papa decision. <laughs> and papa's going to give them all to her. Because <laughs> I don't have to live with him. Right? I mean, that's it. But a loving parent is wise enough wise enough not to give a child everything they ask for. And so when God answers, he answers in different ways. And we've taught these principles before, so let me run through them quickly. Sometimes God says yes. Yes. Yes, this is for your best. Yes, this is for my glory. Yes, ask and you shall receive. Yes. And this is when most of us usually say, wow, God answered prayer. And he did. But sometimes God says no. We don't as often hear, wow, God answered prayer. But he did. No is an answer. With all apologies to Garth Brooks who sang a few years ago, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. It's not unanswered. No is the answer. God loves you enough not to give you everything you ask for when you ask for it. God knows what he's doing in his yes and his no. Sometimes the most loving, the most wise answer is no. Sometimes God says slow, slow. It's not that the, the ask is wrong, it's just it's not the right timing. And, and maybe we, we look back on our life and we begin to understand sometimes we see God, God has been at work. Sometimes God's been sending the answer. He's been, he's been putting things in motion even before I ever started asking. But when I first started asking, the time wasn't right. And God didn't say no, God said slow. And very often connected with slow is another one of God's answers, and that is grow. Grow. Because sometimes I'm not ready for what I'm asking for. Oh, I think I'm ready, but God knows I'm not ready. He knows that there's a character quality that needs to be sharpened, that needs to be increased, that needs to be lifted up along the way. Something that needs to be honed off, a rough edge that needs to be sanded off in my life. And, and God will use a, a slow to, to cause me to grow. Now, now here becomes the tricky thing. We have to understand that very often a slow and a grow feel like no, don't they? 
That's why that relationship is so essential, that I have to stay close enough to God to be able to discern yes, no, slow, and grow. A wise parent sometimes look at a, looks at a child and says, no for now doesn't mean no forever. No for now doesn't mean no forever. Men, we don't usually hand our car keys over to a 10-year-old, right? Have fun, kid. <laughs> no. That doesn't mean no forever. 16, we hand them over with fear and trembling, right? But it didn't mean no forever. It just means slow. It just means you still have some growing to do. God, our Heavenly Father, delights, delights in demonstrating His grace by answering prayer. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's grow. Fourth pillar, God longs to be close to me. God longs to be close to me. This is so foundational because when we understand prayer is not just going to a vending machine and ordering what I want from the Almighty, but it is this relationship. And in that relationship, God longs to be close to me. He has gone to extraordinary lengths in order for me to be able to be close to Him. John's Gospel records Jesus' words, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Notice that word, friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Wow. He longs for a relationship. It's not just a servant to a master, although he is our master, but it is that of a friend, that of a father and a child. God longs to be close to you. He has gone to extraordinary lengths. Jesus Christ gave up the glories of heaven, came and took on human flesh, lived the life that we were designed to live and died the death we deserve to die. A greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. He so longs to be close to me that Jesus Christ came to make that possible. And if I begin to think about prayer as, as not this, this transaction, not this, this wish list, not this bargaining and bartering, but this relationship, this conversation, this primary avenue that God uses to draw me close to Him. Then I begin to understand the call of James in his typical, succinct fashion again. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He's not hiding He's, he longs to be close to me, but I have to draw near to him. 
He has gone to extraordinary lengths to make it possible. I have to respond. How do you get closer to God? Well, foundationally, there are two things. I have to desire it, and I have to make time for it. I have to desire it, and I have to make time for it. I have to come to that moment in my life, and and maybe I'm praying that many of us are right here, and this 40 days is going to be catalytic and, and drawing us closer to God. And maybe you're at that point where you say, God, I know there's something more. I long for something more. I desire something more. And the fact that I long for that and desire that is because of your work in me. I love because you first loved me. And in response to your wooing, in response to your drawing, I desire more and more to be close to you. But I got to make time for it. There's no relationship that can thrive without time, right? You got to have time. A husband and wife who can't find time drift, detach. Friends that we were once close to, we don't really interact with anymore because we don't spend time together. I've got to make time for it. Tim Keller, writing about prayer, it's this powerful story out of his own life. When he came to that moment when he longed for something more. And I'm, uh, my guess is that many of us are right there today. We long for something more in our relationship with God. Let me read to you Keller's words. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into kind of a corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night, every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray We can't let it just slip our minds. He continues. Maybe it was the power of the illustration. Maybe it was just the right moment. Maybe it was the Spirit of God. Or most likely of all, it was the Spirit of God using the moment and the clarity of the metaphor. 
For both of us, the penny dropped. We realized the seriousness of the issue, and we admitted that anything that was truly a non-negotiable necessity was something we could do. That was more than 12 years ago. And Kathy and I can't remember missing a single evening of praying together, at least by phone, even when we've been apart in different hemispheres of the world. How do you get closer to God? You desire it. You desire it. You desire it more than catching up on the latest Facebook post. You desire it more than your favorite hobby. You desire it more than being up to date with the latest scores or the latest happenings in the most popular TV series. You long for it and desire it more than binge watching whatever. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying they're secondary. They're secondary to figuring out a way to make time for the greatest conversation with the greatest person who has the greatest love for you you'll ever know. And I get it. We're all in different seasons of life. It looks a lot different for me now than it did 20 years ago. But you figure it out. You figure it out. And maybe the beginning part of this journey is, Lord, teach me to pray and help me to figure it out. In my season of life, with everything that we've got going on, with all the craziness of schedules, with all the pressures, with all the demands, God, what does it look like for me to desire to draw closer to you and to make time for it? Lord, teach me to pray. But I can't start this series without making one thing crystal clear. Because I've been talking about a relationship, not a ritual. I've been talking about personal. I've been talking about a, a conversation. I've been talking about all that God has done. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, you know how he taught them the first words? Our Father. Our Father. But please understand, being able to call on God as Father is not automatic. And that is why it's essential that I clarify that on the front end. It is not automatic. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why not all prayer is true prayer, not all prayer is to the true God. The only way to enter into that relationship, the only way to draw closer to God is through the way that He has provided. One and only way, and that is through Christ and Christ alone. Paul wrote to the Galatians, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so as we begin to think about and talk about 40 days of prayer, I need to make sure you understand it is about a relationship, but a relationship has a beginning point. And that beginning point is when I recognize that my sin and my rebellion has separated me forever from a holy God. And no amount of ritual, no amount of praying, no amount of religious activity, no amount of resolutions and good morals 
will bridge that gap. But that Jesus Christ did for me what I could not do for myself. And the only thing I can do is throw myself on his mercy and grace. Turning from sin and self and through faith entrusting to him my past, my present, and my future. Trusting in the perfect provision of Jesus Christ. When that takes place, I begin a relationship. I begin a relationship with God as my forever father. And that relationship is grown, is fed, is nourished, explodes in prayer. So as we begin this journey, I'm going to invite you just to say, God, teach me how to pray. But I want to invite you to say, God, I need you. I need what you have done in Jesus Christ. I cry out to you, perhaps for the first time, in faith, in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together, please. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the awesome privilege of knowing you, of being related to you, of of being able to converse with the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who started all this in the first place, the one who created us for himself, the one that makes it possible for us to reconnect to. Father, I just pray, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us what it means to relate to you. Teach us, Father, how to draw near to you. Father, please take these next 40 days. and Lord, help us not to just go through motions. Help us not to just check off boxes. Father, help us to draw near to you. Father, today, in this room, in this moment, draw someone, that man, that woman, that student, that child, draw them to you. Draw them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day of the beginning of a transforming journey. Lord, thank you that you are drawing us to yourself and that you will teach us to pray. As we take just a few moments more in this setting to be still before the Lord, I'm going to invite you just to know how much the Heavenly Father desires a connection with you as His child. It's a connection that begins through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a connection that grows and flourishes through authentic prayer. And so as you sit before the Lord... Take a moment and look at that box in your note-taking guide that invites you to make it personal because that's what we desire for you to do. And if those questions will serve you, then read them. Allow God just to park your attention on one or two. Start there. If you're here today and you don't know that you're truly a child of God through faith in the perfect provision of Jesus,